all my days. Ah, happy farewell. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Beat. I'm your Shirley Nick Baumberner. Special guest this week, Brendan is not here. He's on the road as it is March, and he'll be gone for like 28 straight days or something. So today, uh, joined by Chris Burke, a fellow Athletic Detroit writer who I cover the Lions with, and Chris has been covering the draft for a long time, so we figured we would do some draft stuff today, some combine stuff. Chris, how are we doing? Uh, this feels like a lot of pressure stepping in for, for Brendan. <laughs> this is going to be way better because Brendan doesn't know anything about football uh, <laughs> or the combine. Uh, outside of like who ran fast and uh, do I why do why should I care? So I think we'll be uh, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> it would have been interesting had all three of us done it. We were thinking about that for a second, and I was like, that might have just been two people talking and Brendan drinking a beer on the side. But maybe this will work out better in the end anyway. Um. So yeah, we were both the combine last week, Chris. I figured we the first half of the show here we'll talk a little Michigan, Michigan State because um, we're both sort of familiar with that. Eighteen guys uh, go to the combine. Um. I think I asked you at one point, maybe a couple weeks ago, if you'd heard that they expanded the number because that's the most I've ever seen from Michigan, Michigan State. 18 guys on two teams that really underperformed. I was, what do we make of that? I mean, I I'm, I'm, I was surprised, but then as I watched some of the stuff kind of unfold, I was like, okay, so-and-so tested a little better than I thought he would. Maybe they could have gotten more out of him. I don't know. I hate doing that because it's like, do we do we want to read too much into those combine things on their on their head alone? But it's also like... If they're that highly thought of, that many of them got there, I don't know what that tells us about, you know, maybe how bad it really was last season. Yeah, I mean, I think that certainly, obviously you could probably speak to it better than I could, but I think that certainly was one of the talking points for uh, the Michigan guys specifically down there, just because there were, were, it was like the second or third most of any program at the Combine. um, You know, I think it's also interesting because, uh, you know, you you see that, that number, but you also see sort of, uh, I mean, we're not talking about any of these guys as top 15 guys. Like, no, Donna, I get, no. what, Peoples-Jones is probably the one who's now kind of rocketed up there because of uh, yeah. his combine Ruiz, performance. Yeah. But that's yeah. like, what, maybe maybe he sneaks into round one if someone really falls in love. But, it, you know, like, you're thinking if he gets in the top 50, that'd be pretty good for him. I mean, Cesar Ruiz, yeah. yeah. So those are the two. Yeah. But, like, um, but yeah, we're not talking a lot about the you know top end of this thing. So I think that that's sort of – you look at the numbers and you know I think it shows that they were a, a decent team last year and you also yeah. see the discrepancy between them and you know LSU right. and Ohio State Alabama so um yeah I don't know that there's a ton to read into it and I don't know other than um really people's Jones like I don't there there weren't any they none of the Michigan Michigan State guys were like oh that they blew me away I wasn't expecting that yeah. from them yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, like you say, I mean, even a guy like um, Kalik Hudson ran and tested probably better than I thought he would. Like, he ran in, I want to say, yeah, he ran four, five, six, which is way faster than I thought he would run. Uh, he, he had 30 bench reps, which is good. Uh, I kind of figured he would do that. But, I mean, like, he tests really well. And then, you know, and you're kind of like, he was fine is, this last year. I don't think he's draftable, but that was a – that was a solid day for him. Josh Metellus probably ran better than I thought he might. That was, and he was fine in school. It's interesting because, like you said, Chris, Michigan's got eleven guys at the combine, and all of them are day two or lower, and half of them are probably um, not getting picked. So I, I don't know what that tells us. That's really strange to me because it's like, I mean, it reminds me a little bit, a little bit of the 
Les Miles' teams toward the end at LSU where they were having like 12, 13 guys every year, and it was like, why are you 8-4? and four? You know, and, and <laughs> I don't know if it's quite that because I think those teams maybe had some higher-end guys in the draft. But this is really weird. I haven't been able to put my finger on it. You watch Michigan football. I mean, Austin and I have talked quite a bit about this. We both were of the assumption or of the impression they underperformed pretty pretty heavily last year. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they were a nine-win team. They had a tough schedule. But on its head, if you really look at it, I think Michigan probably had the talent to be 10 wins and maybe even 11, um, and they didn't get there. So, I, 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 yeah, I mean, it's it's a tricky thing, but this has been one of the more confusing things for me because normally when you see these big numbers, you're just like, wow, I mean, that was a disaster because they had, you know, 11 NFL players. I mean, 11 guys go to the combine. That means they're all going to get picked or something, but that's not really the case here. So it's just been really, really weird, and I don't know what to make, I don't know what to make of it like at all. Yeah, I mean, I, and I will say, I think on both sides, on both Michigan, Michigan State side, and we kind of talked about this a little bit while we were down there. There's some, there are some really solid NFL prospects. I think Ben yeah. Bredesen's going to make a team happy. Uh, sure. We talked about you and I talked about uh, Josiah Scott. I mean, I think someone yeah. will like Kenny Willekes. Um, so there's certainly guys on these rosters that uh, you can drop into the NFL and expect they're going to have uh, pretty good careers. But I think. Um, you know, A, it always you always go back to the quarterback discussion and you look at Patterson mm-hmm. and Lewerke and I mean those are guys that are hoping to hear their name somewhere on day three. So that obviously puts a little bit of a ceiling on what you're gonna do yeah. as a team. And then, you know, some of these other guys, like you said, I think Khalik Hudson had a good week. I think Josh Metellus had a pretty good week and you know, but like what are those guys in the NFL? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you also have sort of these uh kind of weird, like hybrid y type guys that um you know, played pretty well. Were effective for you at the college level, but it's a little harder pro- to project out. You know, what what was Hudson yeah. five? You know, five uh, eleven two twenty four so, with thirty yeah. bench press. So like, yeah, he did really well in the test. Sub four six. Like, probably get a good special teams player if nothing else yeah, out of that. But I think so. you know, is he going to be a guy that you're going to drop in as a three down linebacker at the next level? I, I mean, yeah. I, Probably not. But. In some ways, the more we talk about it, the more maybe maybe it's maybe it's the most like it's. I mean, it, it sort of paints the picture of exactly what they are, which is, you know, these are all these are all Jim Harbaugh recruits. Um, these are all kids that he signed either in his first full class or his second full class, um, and they're all they were all pretty good. They were all plus players in college. Uh, like you said, there's some pretty good prospects in here. Some of these guys are going to get drafted. You know, Bredesen. Uh, Ruiz, um, DPJ, Josh Uche, they're going to get picked. Some of the other guys are going to make a team, all that sort of stuff. But it really does, it really, Michigan to me is this this list of people that I'm looking at here is so indicative of a team that's in that no man's land of college football where it's like, you know, you've got a lot of guys who are pretty close, but Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, you watch those guys show up and it's like, oh my God, like this isn't even like we're watching the same sport, you know, like, I mean, no, no, I'm not trying to cut anybody, but like Jeff Okuda was like, I mean, insane at the combine. <laughs> he's just like <laughs> right. you talk to this, you talk to Jeff Okuda number one, and it's not, and he's just well put together. He's super smart. Uh, he understands his work ethic, everything else. And then he goes out there and runs, and you're just like, this guy has been an NFL first round draft pick for three seasons, right? I mean, it, we, it was always going to end here. He was when the minute he signed with Ohio State, that's where it was going to go, and Michigan. Other than Donovan Peoples-Jones and maybe Cesar Ruiz, there's none of those guys that you you looked at when they were sophomores and said they're for sure you know going to be a high draft pick. And I guess that's probably the difference in in, in the uh, talent gap and everything else. Because I get a lot of that. Like, well, what's this talent gap crap? Because they've got 11 guys at the combine. I'm like, well, they're 
There are varying shades of gray of who all gets to go to the combine. It's not all, you know, it's not all Isaiah Simmons and uh, and Derek Brown. It's also guys who are on the bottom end. So it's it's been interesting, but um, weird weird stuff. Overall, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, and I mean, I think there is some discussion to be had about it. Sort of naturally goes back to you look at Peoples Jones test the way that he did. Uh, and what we know about him as an athlete, and you see Uche, you know, he didn't test. Uh, he did, I think, that he did the bench, but he didn't do. Uh, he didn't do any of the on-field yeah. drills. Yeah, um, but you know, he's he's a guy who's had a really good. Uh, he, had, he had a good senior bowl. He's had a good, uh, you know, pre-draft sort of run up here. He's another guy that you talk about having a good press conference. Like he's a really well-spoken kid, and yep. uh, I'm sure he's doing well in the interview rooms. But you know, those are two guys specifically that. I think the sort of natural conversation has been, well, why, you know, why weren't they better? Mm-hmm. And why weren't right. they, you know, why wasn't Uche playing two years ago? Right. Why wasn't People Jones a 1,500-yard receiver, you know? Uh, <laughs> so I think that those are – and those, that's that doesn't necessarily impact what they do at the next level at all. But I think that if you're talking about the programs and sort of how these guys uh, reflect back on where they're coming yeah. from, that's part of the conversation. So let's look at a couple of these guys individually. We'll start with Donovan Peoples-Jones because he might be the most interesting of the group on either side. And I think that most people assumed, I mean, I kind of wrote it like he did his job at the Combine. And I know he tested really well. People were happy for him and that's cool and that's great. I mean, it's it's awesome. But it, it feels like Donovan was one of those guys that everybody knew of his athleticism from the minute he signed with Michigan. And so it was expected that he test really well. And he did. I mean, he had... Uh, he ran in the four fours. His, his uh, vertical jump was ridiculous. I think his speed score was ridiculous. His burst score was ridiculous. Uh, he's six two, two fifteen, whatever he is, with um, what was it, ten and one eighth inch hands, thirty three inch arms. How are we not seeing? <laughs> I mean, it's just like, but right, you turn the tape on, and and that's where the line crosses. You've been covering the combine for a long time. Um, the number of guys that that show up and, and then test super, super well that we never hear of again is a pretty high number. Uh, what Do do we think Donovan Peoples-Jones is one of those guys that showed up and test really well and then he's going to fade away? Or do we think this is indicative of, you know, he was in an offense that didn't have his stuff together, Shea Patterson didn't help him, and maybe now we'll see this guy take off. I You know, some days on one side, some days on the other. I mean, we've watched him for a while. We saw him at the Combine. I mean, what, what's your uh, kind of read on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously so much of it depends on where he winds up and how they're using him because you could be having the same conversation in three four years like oh I don't think give this guy the ball at all but um, yeah yeah totally you know there's a there's a site out there that I use quite a bit this time of year uh, mockdraftable.com that sort of plugs in all these numbers and compares it to workouts like across the years to give you a sense Mm -hmm. of like how these guys fit in his number one uh, comparison his number one comp on that site is Chris Conley um, yeah, went played at Georgia, was with the Chiefs, and hit, I think he's with the Jaguars now. But he'd been with the Chiefs. He was a Chiefs draft pick, uh, and it was sort of the same thing going in. Like he was a good college player, and then he blew up at the combine, and then um, you know was a third round pick, and he's kind of been like he had a forty four catch year a few years ago. He just yeah. had a forty seven catch year, but he's never been like you know he's not Michael Thomas. Like he's not a guy that right. you're talking about as a Pro right. Bowler, and I think that. You know, to me, I think that that sort of uh, that makes sense as a trajectory for Peoples Jones. I don't know that you're going to suddenly take a guy who was what he was at Michigan and and plug him in and have him go for you know seventy, eighty catches. But I think he's someone that you kind of see the upside with, and it's certainly the athletic upside. And if you can get him in an offense that uh, 
can kind of scheme guys open a little bit and get them the ball in space and maybe give them some chances on returns. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's clearly something there oh, yeah, uh, from a physical yeah. perspective. I think if you could get him on a roster with an older receiver, like, I mean, not to be like right up, but like an Amendola, like somebody like that, that he can watch and learn from maybe um, to teach him all the sort of little things. Cause I think we, we forget sometimes that when he got to Michigan, um, you know, he was five-star recruit. He's a top 10 player in the country. But Donovan was not – he was an amazing athlete. But he was not what I would ever call a polished football player. He just wasn't. I mean, they, they asked him to beast kids in high school, and he did. And he ran by everybody, and he caught fly routes, and it was really fun to watch. And he was a crazy athlete. But then he gets to Michigan, and all of a sudden he's asked to start. Uh, he's basically their number one receiver by the middle of the year. And there's a lot on top of him that he's probably not ready for. And I think – it seemed to me that his head was spinning for a year and a half, and, and and sometimes that would come back on him. So I, like you said, I think Fitz probably going to be a big one, but he's a guy to me that seems like if he can get around some guys in the locker room that he really respects, some guys that are going to take the time to teach him, you know, the ins and outs and the tricks of, of how to get open um, and all those type of things, then I do think within four years we're sitting here saying, why isn't he getting the ball more? Why isn't he getting a better? Is he going to be an interesting <laughs> right. free agent signing for somebody? Is he going to take off? And, you know, at that point, I'm not sure if we can go back and say, well, Michigan screwed him. But, I mean, in that sense, I still think he needs to grow quite a bit. And a lot of it was, like, I've questioned straight up. I mean, there's been a number of times where I've said to myself, I don't know if he likes football. And I don't, and I got to imagine, I have to imagine that that was asked to him um, at the combine. And I, and I know we hear that, we say that stuff, and people hear that and say, well, how could you not like football if you played it for three years? But, I mean, can you explain, sort of, as someone who covers this process, what it means when a team asks you, do you really like football? Do you, Are you really into this? And sometimes how important that is, not sometimes, all the time, how important that is when you're evaluating a prospect uh, you know, as an NFL team. Yeah, I mean, I think there are levels to this. It sort of depends on which team we're talking about. Like, if you're talking about the Lions, this is, like, right. priority 1A for oh, Matt yeah. Patricia. You know, right. you need a guy <laughs> yes. who, yeah. like, doesn't want to see his family for nine months, like... You right. know, like Kelly Stafford uh, posted an Instagram about how she didn't she she found out she was pregnant the same day that uh, Matthew Stafford hurt his back this year, and she didn't want to tell him for three she didn't tell him for three days because oh, she wanted to geez. let him be alone with like recovery. Yeah. Like that that was her. Yeah, that that's not because like Staff, yeah. Matthew Stafford right. was yeah, gonna flip course. out on yeah. her, but that's the mentality that you're looking for right. in these right. football. Yeah. You know, you want a guy who's gonna. <laughs> Like Danny Amendola is sort of the perfect because you you know you mentioned the Patriots mm-hmm. and beating that system. Like Danny yep. Amendola is their guy that like you hold them up and and so I think that that's like sort of the high end of it. You're looking for a guy who just this is you know eat sleep breathe it. Like you want to be yeah. in the building all the time. Jared Davis is another one with the Lions. Like people wonder why he's still around, why they still like him. Mm-hmm. He like doesn't go home in the off season. He just <laughs> is there all the time. Like yeah. working out. Yeah. Um, and so that's sort of the top end of it. Like you want a guy who's, who, uh, it, it's it's not it's even beyond liking football. It's like that's just part of who, that's who you are. That sort of defines yeah. you. The game of football. Um, and I think you can go. You don't need to go quite to that extreme. You have the guys who just really love the game and really love playing it, love the competition, and you sort of see that, and it sort of drives how they. Uh, prepare and work on their craft and you know is it important to them not just to get paid in the NFL but to be the Mm -hmm. best at your position I think that's what teams are trying to find out a lot of times with these rookies like are you going to come here are you just doing this until you get your first contract and then you're going to shut it down and like all right I got my I got to the NFL that was the goal I made it 
Um, and I think yeah, that that's yeah. what they're trying to figure out. And, and sometimes it can be so crazy as like, so Donovan Peoples-Jones is like, you know, a, a terrific student. He was a pre-med student at Michigan. That was, that was like the reason why he went to Michigan. I, I mean, it's ridiculous, but I mean, I'm sure NFL teams are like, um, are you going to abandon us in three years to go be a doctor? Because we can't have that, you know, like <laughs> right. that's that's part of it. Like I remember yeah. one year, um, Kyle Kalis was um, trying to work out Michigan old offensive lineman. He was trying to kind of crack into the bottom half. I think he ended up signing with a team or whatever. It might still be on a practice squad somewhere. But Kyle told us all like at the Orange Bowl the one year that like just kind of off the hand because he was, you know, this is just who he was. He was like, yeah, I've been contacted by like people from the WWE, and they are interested in, and wanted to know if I, if I would like ever be interested in, in being like a WWE wrestler. And he was like, I think that would be awesome. Like if football, you know, didn't work out, like that would be great. So I wrote about it, and then I saw him at Michigan's pro day, and he was like, hey man, could you like stop writing about me in the WWE because all these teams are freaking out on me. Like, are you gonna quit football in like year one and join the join SmackDown or whatever? And I'm just like, what is happening? But that is that is a weird. That's always been a weird thing to me is the. You know, does this guy like football? Because if there's another thing in his life that's even good, like Donovan being a doctor is a really good thing, sometimes that can be looked at as a negative on you uh, in the NFL process. Although I would think some teams maybe have a little more nuance to it and, and maybe would even embrace something like that. Yeah, and I think that that happens a lot. I mean, I think depending mm-hmm. on what these guys' are, degrees are, if they're, if there's like a charity cause they're really active in off the field, that, yeah. I mean, they ask them all the time too, like yep. – who are you going to bring with you when you come to the next level? Who's going to, who's going to, is it going to be your girlfriend, your wife, are your friends moving with you? Like, do you have a right. lot of things going on off the field that you're going to be paying attention yes. to? Who's coming with you? Yeah. Um, and so those are always big talking points. Like, like I said, they, they want guys who are going to say, all right, I'm starting at the bottom. I'm going to grind my way up to the top of the roster. If that means, you know, it takes two or three years of me just, working out like crazy then that's what it takes like I'm gonna I'm here I whatever you want me to do I'm here and so yeah I think that that does sometimes spook teams as silly as it sounds to say like well oh you want to go into you want to go into medicine when you get done with yeah (laughs) like you want to right you want to go uh overseas and uh and help help kids who don't have access to schools during the off season like we need you here and it it sounds yeah kind of dumb from a humanitarian perspective (laughs) but uh Right. Uh, yeah, that is what the conversation is. And I'm sure that has come up uh, with Peoples Jones because if I mean you've been around him a bunch, but if you're picking mm-hmm. up on it, certainly there are teams oh, yeah, who are yeah, yeah. hearing it or seeing it and want to ask him the same yeah. questions. Another guy super interesting to me, and I you know some were surprised when he left early. I don't think I was. Was Josiah Scott at Michigan State, the corner um, who ran in the four, he ran four, four, two. So, I mean, he was cooking, he, not, not the biggest guy, but he's stout, you know, he's 185, not super long, but I always thought Josiah Scott was a guy that from the first time I watched him when he was at Michigan state as a freshman was, he reminded me a little bit of like a, like a Jordan Lewis and that he was just a very smooth, he knew what he was doing. Um, he understood, you know, basic fundamentals of playing man coverage uh, and zone probably came as time went on, but he was always a guy to me that, you know, he got dinged up a little bit. And I think sometimes people looked at last season and said, Josiah Scott had a bad year or not as good a year as he did when he was a sophomore. But then my counter always was, well, you know, Kari Willis and Justin Lane were in the NFL and he was left with three other guys in the secondary who are not going to be in the NFL. And so what do we make of Josiah Scott? Because I think that the cornerback, and we just talked about a receiver, the receiver depth in this class is ridiculous, but the corner depth in this class is also pretty ridiculous for a guy like Josiah Scott, who I think is a pretty good player, could be like a pretty good pick for somebody, like maybe even in the fourth round if he slipped that far. Maybe maybe he doesn't make it that far. I don't know, but I think he probably did pretty well for himself last week. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably a good range for him, like that fourth, fifth. And, they, and like you said, if you get him there, I think that uh, you've certainly got something to work with. And I think he only yeah. did – it was only the 40 the only for him, right? and, uh, and the yeah. bench. And he did um, bench press, yeah, 17. So, yeah, I mean, so we don't have the full athletic picture. But, I, I mean, I think you're right. And I think that there's still uh, – you know, I don't know that it's necessarily translated with every single guy, but there's still mm-hmm. definitely a uh, respect, I guess, from NFL oh, yeah. circles for the Michigan State defense Especially in general and backs. program, yeah. but the defensive mm-hmm. backs for sure because yep. they come yep. in. You know, it, it, there's a little bit of a a learning curve, um, as there is with any of these college guys that play, a, you know, play a lot of physical coverage with, with learning how to yep. use their hands to the next level and not get flagged all the time, but. Uh, just the way that Michigan State uses those DBs, I think, still translates very well up to the next level. And so teams like mm-hmm. to look at those guys, and they know that they're going to get someone who's, you know, doesn't need a lot of time to be ready to be like at least a fourth or fifth cornerback. And I think that that's, yeah. you know, that's sort of where you start with Josiah Scott, and maybe he works his way up. I mean, you could see him working his way up pretty quickly. I think I, I don't think it's yeah. out of the question that he starts a few games as a rookie because, you know, you know he can at least hold up. Yeah. And we can we talk about this really quick? So he leaves as a junior. He probably could have come back as a senior. And in theory, you know, maybe he bumps himself up two rounds. But it's brand new coaching. Let's just, let's just, let's say the coaching change didn't change. Coaching change didn't happen or something because he left before that happened. <clears throat> and you know, maybe he does a little bit better for himself. But can, can we kind of get into the notion that coming back to school, um, oftentimes. I don't want to say it's a disaster because you're going to end up getting a degree and stuff, but like the more tape you have sometimes on you, um, the, the, the less better, if that makes sense. Right. I mean, am I alone (laughs) in thinking that? I mean, do you agree with that? It depends on the situation, but sometimes man, it's time to go. And because you come back and it's going to be, now they're going to really nitpick you and now everything's going to be out there. And if you don't just, you're just not a star as a senior, you're going to plummet like a rock. And you know, I think Josiah Scott might be in that situation. And I think you look at some of the things like, uh, you know, it sort of depends on some of the factors. Are you going to get better technically coming back for another year? Are you going to get some more opportunities coming back for another year? Then you probably should go back. But like Josiah Scott, you look at and, you know, the, I think the big knock on him is going to be the size, right? He's 5'9", yep, 185. So you're looking at him as it's a guy that we can – can we play him outside at all? Does he have to be in the slot? And that's not – He's not going to have a four-inch growth spurt if he goes back to no. Michigan State. So that's yep. that's always going to be. I mean, you think you see the game that he has, and that's going to be there as he gets to the next level. He's not going to get it right. He's not going to get any taller. So you go and you you start to work on that technique at the next level. If you need to play him, you know, exclusively in the slot, um, you know, you you start working on that transition for him and and see how long that takes. But yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those cases where you can understand why. Um, why he'd want to get up to the next level because I, I think that that is part of the 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 discussion is how you know yeah. what are you going to get better at in the next year where are you going right. to make uh your mark and if you're not going to go from if you're not going to be a top 20 guy round one guy like at round four round five versus round three is not going to make yeah. a huge difference in your career right a big time and that's a, that segues into another one which would be Caesar Ruiz uh another junior center who leave or junior play center who leaves Michigan with a year on the table and does really well for himself in draft workouts and everything else. Um, but also a guy who, you know, had done a great job of transforming his body. You know, he came, if that was the one thing when he came into school, he was probably a little, he had some sloppy weight to him. He got rid of that. Um, he was never mentally overwhelmed. Um, he always had really good strength. I think Ed Warner helped him a ton. 
And if he'd came back as a senior, he was going to be playing with Jalen Mayfield, who I think is going to be a really, really good player and possibly a first-round pick, but then a bunch of guys who we don't even know, or yet, right? We don't know what they're going to be. He was going to be playing on a line that was that had just lost, you know, senior John Runyon, senior Ben Bredesen, senior Mike and Wayne U, um, and the situation might have been more challenging for him going forward. Uh, but overall, Ruiz does look like the one guy who maybe, I'm not sure if I buy it, but maybe could slip into the end of the first round. Um, not a lot to nitpick about what he did in Indy, and really not, I don't think there's a ton to nitpick about his tape either. He's a pretty good uh, interior player who could probably play both spots, or all three spots really, um, and be either a starter for a long time, or maybe even a rotation guy at the back. I mean, I think Cesar Ruiz could play in the NFL for quite a while if uh, if you know health and everything else uh, holds up. Yeah, and I guess that's what I was going to ask you. Like, we that's always the conversation is does he have the versatility mm-hmm. to play center and guard or is he just a center? Yeah. Or is he just a guard? I remember when the lions drafted, uh, Frank Ragnow, I, I talked to his, um, position coach at Arkansas and it's like, well, that's, yeah. you know, he's a natural center. You want to play him center. at center. And the lions started him at guard, of course, cause they had Graham Glasgow playing center. Yeah. And it was like, it was fine, but then he moved to yeah. center and it kind of clicked and you saw the, the potential there. Right. And, so I guess that's the question, you know, are you drafting a guy who's just going to need to step in and play center right away? Can you get that versatility from him? I mean, I think you probably can. Um, yeah. But I think cert- that that's the move. I think yeah. that he's a center naturally, um, mentally and everything else with all they ask those guys to do, you know, at line of scrimmage um, and, you know, the ability to have enough strength and sort of your lower body to to help the guys next to you too. I think that he's a guy, because Ragnow is a great example of that. Ragnow, Frank Ragnow, as long as he plays, you know, as long as he stays in Detroit, he's a center in there. He's going to make whatever, <laughs> whatever ridiculous guard rotation they put next to him. He's going to make those guys, <laughs> you know, a little bit better. He's going to raise all boats up there because he's really, really good. And I, I don't know if 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 Ruiz is, you know, Ragnar level. Um, maybe he is, uh, but I'm not sure if I would go that far right now. But I do think he is definitely a guy who uh, could hold his own. I don't think he's going to get overwhelmed physically. Um, he could play guard, I think, if he had to. The difference between Ruiz and somebody like Graham Glasgow was Graham Glasgow could have played every position on the field for Michigan. Mason Cole was another one who could have and kind of, I don't know if he might have played every position on the field up front for Michigan. I don't think Caesar is that, but he's versatile enough um, with his game to where I think it would translate to you know either guard spot or center, depending on injury, depending on whatever else. And you know, and as much as um, sometimes we ding on it, that is sort of the name of the game in the NFL with offensive linemen is you better be able to play more than one spot. Um, otherwise, your staying power, you know, unless you're a pro bowler or something, your staying power is going to get a little limited because, you know, so many injuries and so much other stuff up front. Yeah, and this is sort of the same discussion. Like, if he had gone back, where where would he be better a year from now? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, right? I mean, I, I think that, like, he talked a lot at his uh, press conference about how one of the big things he focused on this offseason was just – uh, getting into better shape and losing some body yep. fat. And I think that that's uh, probably, a, you know, that's one of the things that you sort of keep an eye on with him just to make sure that he stays oh, yeah. where he is now, which I th- was, what, uh, 6'3", 307. So maybe there's like a – Probably maybe, the lightest he's been. Yeah, I was going to say, there's think. probably a little yeah. room to bulk back up a bit, but, uh, you know, you don't yep. want him playing at 330 or 325 or anything like no. that. So I think that no. – um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's uh, a guy that certainly has a lot of – uh, positive momentum going right now. Um, he did test well. Uh, like you said, I think just, again, that's sort of one of the things that, uh, talking about the Michigan State corners, but knowing what Michigan puts on the plate of its offensive linemen, and especially the center, mm-hmm. like that's that should play to his advantage, I would think. 
Uh, Uche, two guys here, Uche and Kenny Willekes, the two sort of, I mean, Uche is the true sort of hybrid prospect, whereas Willekes is probably going to need to convince people that he can do it. I guess we'll start with Uche, who didn't do everything at the Combine, but I don't know if it really hurt him because I think everybody knows uh, he's fast. I'm sure he'll run at his pro day in Ann Arbor, uh, and probably I would expect him to run well. I would expect him to run in the four fives. Uh, anything slower than that would be maybe a little head-scratching to me. But a guy who, you were at the Senior Bowl, and Josh Uche, as far as these local local area prospects go, seemed to be the guy that got the most buzz and, and, and the most attention for possibilities of you know, what could this guy do for us in any situation, you know, given any team that was looking at him? Yeah, I mean, he's really interesting from uh, an NFL standpoint. And I think that there's still some, I think something teams are working through right now is just exactly mm-hmm. what you're going to do with him. Um, you know, is he going to yeah. be just an edge guy? Is he going to be uh, someone you drop into coverage? The Lions used him because uh, he's on that North roster at the Senior Bowl, the Lions used him yeah. as like a will, you know, inside linebacker in three, four, a few times just to get him some looks there. Um, so I think that that's obviously a big part of the conversation with him. But um, you know, I, I think you see, you know, you, you see that he can get to the quarterback. We've seen him drop in coverage. I mean, that was one of the things people kept asking him at the Senior Bowl: Can you, yeah. you know, can you cover? And he's like, Well. You know, I have covered uh, maybe not a ton, but I've definitely shown that I can cover a little bit. So uh, I think he's one of those, you know, kind of hybrid guys that the NFL is all over right now. And certainly if he tests all right, um, I mean, I'd be shocked if he gets out of day two if he tests well, uh, just because there's going to be so many teams that could see him as a fit. Uche was one of those guys that when Don Brown recruited him, you know, and Don Brown, make no mistake, I mean, Don Brown was toward the top of the this wave that we've seen of, you know, hybrid defenders. I mean, I just got done talking to um, Isaiah Simmons's high school coach the other day, and, yeah, Michigan was all over Isaiah Simmons. They want – I mean, I, I'm sorry I'm not going to break anybody anybody's heart here, I guess, but, I mean, they wanted him badly, you know, <laughs> to be a hybrid defender, and that was in the 2016 class, the same year that he took Uche. Don Brown went around and took a lot of these guys that, you know, on, their, on the surface, you look at a guy like that and you say, what is this guy going to be? And I think his plan with him – so we get a lot of those questions, right? Why didn't he play more – why was he more impactful? And, you know, at the at the end, I think that's a fair criticism. But as time went on early in the career, I think Don Brown fought as hard as he could, despite, you know, Uche, who was a super eager prospect and really wanted to play. I think he fought really hard to keep Uche sort of, you know, in a lane and under control. I don't think he wanted him to get too, uh, you know, too out there too quick because I, I think he was worried that, you know, if I throw too much at him, maybe he'll get frustrated because he wants to be really good and, and maybe it'll, it'll frustrate him and, and we'll lose him a little bit here. So for the first couple years there, I thought I was maybe in the minority, and I thought that he they handled him really well. I, I had questions at the end about maybe you know I mean he did not he was not an every down every down guy even against Ohio State or Alabama, and that to me is sort of I don't know how you're explaining that one, but I mean, at the same time it's one where you know Uche sort of matured as he went along, and it just so happened that he was playing the best football of his life at the very end of his senior year. And not a minute faster. You know, I think that even in the early stages of the season, you know, they put him out there for just about every snap against Army. And that was that was Don Brown's day of saying, like, okay, this guy's been wearing me out for three years. We've got this pretty <laughs> cool position for him. I, I think he can do it, but I don't know, and we're going to find out. We're either winning this game with this guy out here, or he's, or he's going to cost us to lose it, and I'm an idiot. And I think that that was sort of his, like, I, I want to trust him. I, there's nothing about his personality that makes me not trust him. Like, Don Brown loved him, but it was also, like, 
there's a lot you're asking of a player like that. And that's those conversations we get into with these hybrids where you're asking these guys to do a lot. And it's a lot to put on their plate. It's a lot for them to keep keep track of. Uche was a guy who was working out. He worked out with the defensive ends and the linebackers all year long. Uh, so he's doing double everybody else, you know, double meetings, double film, double everything else. And, and you're just trying your best, I think, at that point to make him... You know, not get so out of control that his head is becoming this, you know, problem that he can't get out of and he can't play. And I think they did a really nice job of that. I do understand some of the criticism, I guess, at the end where I think he was ready to probably handle more, you know, once October, November hit. And, you know, that's one of those things, I guess. But I agree. I think he's going to be a pretty good player. And it's it's a little different than the Willikas conversation, but, you know, yeah. sort of in that same, under that same umbrella. Like, well, if, if we don't see Uche as a, like, if he's not a, 10 to 12 sack per year guy right like how much value do we put on what what someone can do by being all over the field in that front seven you know like what where's the value like is if he's not uh because i think that there's a different i I don't think he's up at the level of like zach bond at wisconsin and and no it's sort of uh you know i think people are kind of looking at zach bond in a, a similar light as maybe he might be a more natural linebacker if a team wants to move him there and the sizes are a little different but it's sort of the same conversation. Like he was a, you know, he was primarily a college edge guy. He uh, looks like he's going to be able to cover, but he, he's probably going to end up doing a lot of everything. Um, and yeah. so you just got to figure out, you know, how much you value that. If you're not getting, uh, if you're not getting like one elite trait, do you have enough uh, of the full picture to, to figure out where he's going to work? And then Willikis is a guy to me that, and a lot of guys could probably make this claim, but he's every every year I see them, and he's definitely on the list this year. A guy that if he were like one or two inches taller, yeah, and like right. twenty five pounds heavier, Kenny Willikis would be like a top twenty pick in the draft. Because I, I mean, and and that, it's not maybe not that high, but I think it would be his game would be so different because he's such a great. He did 30, 32 reps. I mean, he's a great power rush guy. He destroys tight ends. I mean, you can't. Even at the Senior Bowl, I mean, he just destroyed every tight end they put across from him. Um, but I don't know with, you know, four eight seven forty and, and some of the agility stuff, I don't know if you can ask him to drop and cover. You know, Chase Winovich, who's about the same size as Willikis, went to the Combine last year and ran in the four sixes or four fives, and that vaulted him up to a day-two pick. And, you know, that was what it was probably going to take for Kenny because he's going to have to do more things, and I don't think it would be something that would be over his head but I just look at him and say, boy, he's 6'3", 264. If Kenny Wilkes was 6'4 and a half, 280, I could see something. You know what I mean? Like that that's something that maybe we're having a different conversation, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and that's that's the tough part with him is that he's almost stuck in like this no man's land. Because if you go the other way, if he was, you know, 6'4", yeah. 245, then you're talking like where we are with Uche. Right. You know, you're in that range. Yeah. But it, yeah. but I think his game is more the other way where, you know, I, you kind of look at him and you see a guy who could be uh yeah 285 we're talking about a pretty good like four three edge you know someone who's holding up and and setting the edge for you there but then and he, he actually did test well if you compare him he did he if did. you compare him to the defensive lineman he tested really well uh, he always surprises people every time i mean it's like it seems like it never fails with willikus every time people have this like <laughs> preconceived notion of him and then they watch his tape or they watch him work out and they're like shit this guy's really good like this is yeah. He can play, but where do we play him? And, and that's yeah, the question, right? 
Right. So yeah, I mean, like athletically, if you're if you're comparing him to the defensive lineman, he tested well. But then, right, like you said, you're talking two sixty four. You're uh, mm-hmm. he had what thirty one and a quarter inch arms, which is really mm-hmm. on the small side. If you're if you yep. want him to play defensive end, like exclusively. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think again, you're just trying to find a spot for him like is he gonna some is he someone that's gonna be able to step inside and help you with an interior pass rush on those sub packages or is is he gonna give you anything in coverage like i don't know i mean i i tend to think you need to find personally i don't know that you want him dropping in coverage a whole lot i think i'd rather just have him Mm -hmm. kind of scratching and clawing his way to the quarterback but yeah uh, yeah i I don't know i mean i think that there's certain uh, he's a guy to me that i think is going to get drafted and you probably uh, like he's one of the we talked about people's jones like four years from now like well should yep, he be getting yep. the ball more and this is the kind of the opposite where four years from now you're going to be like oh well a lot of teams probably could have used him like he's just yep. gonna someone who's gonna stick for like 10 years as a rotational defensive lineman yeah i think that if i had to guess kenny willikis will either be drafted late make a team and then be the guy who in training camp is just just making life miserable for some like high <laughs> right. high money tight end or something in camp, you know, to where a staff is just like, we got to do fi- figure something out with this guy. I think that is going to be like when he gets into a camp. I think that's when it's going to be really the determining factor because the same thing for like a uh, Raekwon Williams, right? Where it's like you go to the combine and you test whatever, but you're not playing football. Willikus had the Senior Bowl. Raekwon Williams didn't. I think Willikis maybe more so than Raekwon, even although I think he could do the same thing. But Willikis, I just think wherever he goes, and I'll pay attention to this. I'll look wherever he goes. I would like to hear within the first two weeks if that somebody's position coach isn't being like, you know, damn, this Willikis kid is just wearing out like some of these guys, and we don't know if he's any good, but we got to figure something out with this. Guy. That to me, he screams that to me, a guy that always seems to surprise people, and it wouldn't shock me if he, yeah, like you said, if, if he finds a way or the right team, right fit, whatever. I don't think I'd be shocked at all because he just keeps on showing up and he keeps on, you know, and he's another one that I, he broke his leg in that, uh, in that bowl game last year. And I think he would have left if he had, if he hadn't, um, you know, maybe that, maybe that plays a factor in it too, but you know, I don't know. I have a feeling Kenny Wilk, we probably haven't heard the last of him uh, overall. Uh, let's do the quarterbacks really quick and then we'll go into some other general draft stuff. So, uh, we'll start with the worky. Um, and I was surprised both Lorky and Shea Patterson got invited. Um, but outside of the Lewerke having like the biggest hands in the world, uh, like tight end hands or whatever, what do we think of, of, of you know, some people like him. I, I've heard that. So there are there are some coaches and GMs and whatever personnel people that like Brian Lewerke. They like his body size. They like, you know, they like a lot of the frame and everything else. But then, you know, it's the inconsistency and is he even that fast and, and everything else. So um, that's a head scratcher. But I mean, what are your thoughts on him? Uh, yeah. Do you have a hand size stance for quarterbacks? Because yeah, I ten and yeah. ten and five eighths, like ninety six percentile all time for quarterbacks. Yeah, like, like like Brett Favre hands or whatever. Basically, was what like yeah. I mean, just huge hands. Uh, so I, is that good? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> right. I don't know that that's gonna get <laughs> yeah. you drafted, but it's interesting, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think you're right. I think there are. He was one of those guys that all year, uh, people kind of kept tabs on because they were sort of waiting. Um, whether it was for him to like get healthy or for him to really take off for a three, four game stretch. Cause there was a long time, you know, that the senior will never uh, reveals like, like, like they put out the watch list early and then they tell you who got invites and there's no uh-huh. real update in between. But um, 
you know, being in contact with some people there and talking with Dane Brugler, our draft guy here, like the, there was a very, uh, there, the conversation between do we invite Lewerke or do we invite Shea, Shea Patterson was a very real thing for a lot of the year. Yeah. And then Michigan beat Michigan State. And they were like, oh, well, I guess we'll, yeah. guess we'll see what Shea yeah. can do. Um, and that's not, you know, not to right. take anything away from Patterson being there. Uh, but that was, I think that those two were kind of like, well, you know, the, sort of in, uh, you know, NFL teams are both looking at him like, we see some of the skill set there. Is anyone going to take, you know, the, the mm-hmm. jump going to happen? And so, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think he's – he's a guy that uh, – I don't know that he's going to get drafted, but I think, you no, know, you, you're going to get a shot in a rookie camp somewhere and see if you can um, – again, yeah. like you see if you can get hot for a couple months and, and show those positives and, and try to stick as either – I mean, you're probably looking at a practice squad, but maybe you stick as, as a number three guy. And certainly being – um, you know, you talk about being the football guy and for the quarterback, it's, you know, how many games did you start? Were you the team captain? What did your teammates yeah. think of you? And he's going to check off all those boxes. So that's a good start right. for him. And then you add in, you know, some of the things like, I guess the hand size, but like some athleticism yeah. and, and decent height. And like, I think there's, there's something there that, there, you know, there's going to be a, some teams that give him some, that give him a call once the draft is over. I mean, Jim Harbaugh always says this, and it's always been interesting to me that he says it, says this with all prospects, but but with quarterbacks especially that their you know sort of maturation, their best years uh, mentally and physically when everything molds together is when they're like twenty six. And sometimes I go back and forth on that, and I see that, and I, and I and I say, well, I don't know if I believe that. And then sometimes I'm like, well, maybe that's not wrong. I mean, you know, Jeff Driscoll, uh, who you know, had a good year at La Tech <laughs> at the end of legend. his college yeah. career. Lions legend Jeff Driscoll. I mean, we could say whatever we want, but Jeff Driscoll was on a team this year, was starting games, and if you'd asked me in 2015, do I think Jeff Driscoll will ever start a football game in the NFL? I'd have said, absolutely not. But, you know, I think there might be something to, you know, that if, if you've got something in you that, you know, teams are attracted to, maybe you hang around long enough to where you get hot, you press one team, and all of a sudden you're hanging out. And you're on the team, you know, and, and you're just sort of taking up a locker and you're getting paid. And that's cool, too, you know. But I always go back and forth on that with quarterbacks because I do think sometimes we see guys who didn't have great necessarily blow you away college careers that, you know, s- suddenly you look up and you're like, it's like three or four years down the road. And you're like, well, why, why is he still on a team? And then why is he starting? And, well, he doesn't look that bad. And then you're just like, well, maybe this is working out. And I don't know that that'll happen. But I mean, that does seem to be something that you know gets overlooked a lot in these in these processes of you know. I mean, it's not a developmental league, but guys still you know mentally are still, especially quarterbacks, are still developing every day with you know how they read a defense, how they diagnose everything and everything else, and you just can't simulate it until you get there. And sometimes things change. Yeah, for sure, and I think it's so much of it is dependent on um, on, on how your program develops you. I mean, I think people yeah. can look at that Michigan State offense over the last year or two if you're if you're scouting Lewerke and say, well, you know, what were we giving him here? You know, right, like, what yeah. were, like it's like talking about guys who just sort of stick and and like Jake Rudock is still in the NFL in the Lions. He was a draft pick of the Lions, and like that was. I think uh, he's like I think he's like one game away from getting the full insurance or something, yeah, whatever that is, like, <laughs> from becoming the veteran, which is like I mean that's a big deal, you know, like that's. That's the money. I mean, for a guy like that, you want to hang around long enough to be in a situation where, like, I'm a veteran now. So if anybody signs me, you got to make more money, and I'm getting the insurance and the whole shot. So we'll see. And he, I mean, he played pretty well in his year at Michigan, but I don't know that 
from a skill set no, standpoint, there's not a big gap between Jake Rudock and where Brian Lewerke is going to be entering no. the NFL. So I, I think it's some of it just depends on, yeah, like where's that, when does that development happen? Because I don't know that Jake Rudock is significantly better now than he was that year at Michigan. No, <laughs> His no, development might have just clicked yeah. in at, you know, 22 or whatever, 23. And, and so I think that there's, yeah, I think there's definitely going to be, um, a market, probably a post-draft market for Brian Lewerke, someone that you can trust to step in there and um, throw passes in, in camp. And yeah. I think that this is part of the Patterson discussion too. And um, right. I can't remember if I mentioned this in my, you know, like combine thoughts on our site, but like if you're going to sign someone for camp and to be with you through the summer, you don't want to be teaching that guy how to run a pro-style offense and how to be doing some, oh. you know, making these throws. And I think that those are both guys that will have a working knowledge of the things that they'll be asked to do at the next level. And that absolutely counts as you talk about these, yeah. you know, day three into undrafted free agent quarterbacks. Patterson is one of the more interesting guys on either list, um, both because of, you know, I mean, the ridiculous expectations that were put on him by, you know, fans and members of the media when he got to Michigan. I don't think Shea Patterson ever shied away from some of those. I don't think he necessarily wanted them, but I don't think he ignored them. He does that a lot. I know Zach Kiefer wrote us, he got some access with Shea last week and, and wrote a little bit about him, and he had some interesting quotes in there from his time, especially the one about how he could have gone to LSU, he says, if he wanted to, uh, but he decided to go to Michigan. <laughs> but in any event, um, so, I mean, I thought – I always tell people, I think when you wrote up something after the Senior Bowl and wrote in there, if you've seen a Shea Patterson game, then you know how his Senior Bowl went. It was like the most perfect way of putting it. And it's because he's a guy that, you know, he doesn't test terribly, test fine for the most part, um, fast enough, like, you know, all these things. And then you get him out there and it's just way too inconsistent. And it's been way too inconsistent forever and it's just one of those things that's like he was a five-star prospect people latch onto that label they never let go of it people's jones went through the same thing and he didn't live up to that but that doesn't necessarily mean everything falls apart but it's also kind of like but sometimes to the contrary of the the thing harbaugh talks about guys getting better when they're 26 27 sometimes guys top out when they're 16 you know and sometimes guys they play their best football athletically or whatever Athletically, uh, they top out as athletes before they get to college. And I almost wonder if that is Shea Patterson. I almost wonder if, you know, the guy that you saw as a senior at old, or uh, IMG or whatever it was, um, that was the best he was going to get athletically, and he wasn't going to get any better. And I don't know if we can argue that he did uh, over the course of his college group. Smarter player, but, you know, there's caps on that, and there's limits to that. And I think the, the smarter player aspect of this matters at this point in the process though yeah. so and I, I mentioned to you and you had kind of the same reaction that all the Lions fans reading my stuff have had <laughs> when I mentioned it that oh, the yeah. Lions came out of the senior bowl pretty impressed with Shea Patterson and I mm-hmm. think a lot of that had to do with um, just sort of how he approaches the game and how he thinks it through more so than what you see on the field because like I said yeah what you saw that week was He'd throw a really, you know, couple really nice balls in a row, and he'd break, you know, get away from traffic in the pocket and make a throw on the run along the sideline that was a really high level throw. And then the very next play, he'd drop and and yeah. try to throw one between two linebackers over the middle of the field and get picked off. And so it right. was just the same thing that you've seen time and again. But uh, I think the the mental aspect of it, the fact that he's been in, um, not just in that Harbaugh, you know 
pro style ish sort of offense for at least you know a year year and a half but like uh he's been in multiple offenses he he knows how to sort of step in and, and pick things up fairly quickly like I think that that aspect of it will will play for him I wouldn't be surprised if the Lions bring him in as a camp body I, but and the athleticism yeah. too is there for him I mean he ran yeah, a four seven mm-hmm. one so it's yep. he's got some of that he's definitely seems like like he to me is that guy that hangs around all summer then like the fourth preseason game he runs for 90 yards and throws two touchdown <laughs> passes and you're like oh well that's kind of interesting yeah. <laughs> and he lands yeah. on a roster but um i i don't know that there's some great upside hidden in here he's the he's one of the more uh, you know difficult to figure out you know players quarterbacks whatever um that i've probably covered uh, just because you know i was never blown away with Shea patterson's physical tools to a point that I think somewhere early in his career. I mean, I remember when he transferred from Ole Miss, you know, there were a lot of people that were like, you know, this is, <clears throat> this is Baker Mayfield part two. And I was like, no, it's not, you know, I'm like, There's no, it's not Baker Mayfield part two. Um, <laughs> right. He's got a lot, he's got a lot of work in front of him uh, with both accuracy and bulk, ball security and everything else. And then, you know, there were times even this year where, you know, after, and so he gets into an offense where they're asking him to read a lot. Uh, and I think sometimes, especially after he got hurt early in the season, he sort of struggled with some of those. I think they took him off of his plate. You know, he played his best football of his life in November, probably through the first half of the Ohio State game. So it was like Indiana, he played really well. You know, some of those games, Penn State, he played, you know, well, better than he has on the road, almost brought him back. Um, You know, those are things that, you know, and those are performances because there, there were moments in games over time, especially toward the end, where you were like, you know, if you'd have played like that, like every game last year, they probably would have won 11 games. If you'd have played like that every game this year, they probably would have won 11 games and you didn't and they won nine. So it's like, you know, so I think he is a guy that almost always ends up saying the right things. And sometimes I almost wonder if he's saying what people want, what he thinks people want him to yeah, say. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that that gets cut out pretty fast now in this situation. So at some point, he is going to have to go and do something with a football that we've never seen him do before. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. And it's the same thing for probably for Lewerke as well, where it's like, you know, we can sit here and say, well, you could be this, you could be this, you could be this. But at some point, you're going to have to go through a workout and be like, whoa, what's this? You know, I, this guy's blowing me away. And, you know, to date, you know, that just doesn't seem to have happened. And it's not like he's been low on chances. I mean, he got the Senior Bowl invite, which people were scratching their head about. Didn't exactly blow that out of the water. Got the Combine invite. People scratch their head about that. You know, in terms of on-field throwing, didn't exactly blow it out of the water. So it's like at some point you're going to have to do that or yeah. otherwise, you know, this is over. And physic, I mean, on-field he was, uh, to me it was pretty obvious he was the worst of the three quarterbacks on the North roster, which, you know, was Justin Herbert, so that's no surprise yeah. there. And then right, Anthony yeah. Gordon from Washington State, who I, you know, who I think is probably a mid-day three pick, and that's another guy I think the Lions definitely could show some interest in. But uh, to me he was – clearly the worst of those three and so yeah I mean you leave this is the taste you're kind of leaving in people's mouths the senior bowl was more of the same the Alabama bowl game was I mean how many points did they leave on the field that day because they couldn't hit a deep ball like it was they were there were points there to be had and he just missed some of those throws like he's like he missed throughout his career so yeah I mean you you need to at some point um the sort of the conversation with uh, Jalen Hurts coming into this week. Like, oh yeah, people were really questioning what he is as a passer. Can he ever be an NFL level passer? And I think 
you know, this week, and obviously this is against air, no defense, whatever, but the, mm-hmm. it was probably as comfortable as he's looked just throwing the ball. And so you yeah. need to see those baby steps forward. And I don't know that Patterson's really shown any of those baby steps. So if, if this is right. where the progress starts or stops, I mean, there's not much of an NFL future there. You've got to believe that there's something more than what you've gotten. So let's talk a little general combine, and then we'll talk some lines. Get out of here. So one of the things, because so how many combines have you covered now, Chris, in your, uh, your illustrious career? I'm creeping up on ten. I don't know if I'm quite to yeah. at least at eight. So somewhere between right. eight and ten. <laughs> so over that time, what would you say you've determined is sort of the most overrated, overblown? Why are we doing this? This doesn't really matter, and fans maybe love it or something or whatever. What 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 thing at the combine that you see? That people will moth to you know moth to light on that you're that you would say is this this is not what you guys think it is if that makes sense. Um, I mean, I think probably a decent amount of the on-field testing falls under that category. I, yeah, I also yeah. think like the, <laughs> I mean, you've been there. You were there this year. The the oh. press conferences where we're yeah, pulling out the snippets, one snippet of a, a pretty uh, like leading question. I mean, like, yeah. well, this guy doesn't have it mentally. Like, I, like oh, this is exactly what you want. Yeah, like, because, I just... because all of us idiots are such mental uh, magicians standing there in the front of them being like, well, we're going to test your mental fortitude, right? Yeah, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I will say, like, to go back, like, Jeffrey Okuda uh, yeah. had a great press conference. And, uh, <laughs> like... Uh, you set that one guy packing. Yeah, oh, someone boy. tried to yeah. catch him with the early, you know, why, why are you what's wrong with your game? Why is it sloppy? And he, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he shot him down. But yeah, I mean, I think that that those days, uh, doing the, the sort of whirlwind media press conferences probably, uh, you know, I don't know how much anyone gets out of those other than just people have lines to plug into their stories. Here yeah. And there, so it's become a, such a fan centric thing that I almost, I mean, you, we saw teams this year, not send all their coaches, you know, I mean, we saw teams this year say, well, we're standing around here with this ridiculous start time because they put all the workouts at night for for prime time. Why am I even here? I mean, there's the value maybe of the combine in the in the impression that people have that you know the combine is going to make or break you as a prospect. To me, as, as time has gone on, has cleared up immensely in that no, the combine is not going to make or break you as a prospect. Uh, you don't even technically need an invite in some instances. I mean, it helps, but you know. We just talked about Jake Rudock. Jake Rudock didn't get invited to the combine. I mean, it, it worked out for him. But I mean, so I don't know where where it's all going. I mean, it seems like it's just turned into like a like a fan fest, and it's like, is this is this really? Do we really need to be doing this for seven or eight days? I don't. I, you know, can we right. do this in two or three? You know, like I don't know. Yeah, and I think it's. It, I was interested because I I think that they were going to see the the drills change this year i think they'll continue to yeah. change uh i was interested i talked to lance newmark the lions director of player personnel before mm-hmm. going down there and it's like this bench press is what is it why do we do this every what are we year? doing yeah. and he told me that teams love the bench press because really? you know you get to test the strength obviously but you also get to see the like competitive that's the one yeah, of the few true. spots you get to see the competitive aspect of it you get to see like how a guy reacts when he's tired and like on his, you know trying to grind through it, and they like love sitting there and watching the theater of it. Um, but yeah. then we also heard, 
you know, not the media complained that it started at 8 a.m. every morning, which, you know, yeah. we, don't need, we don't need to do that. <laughs> I don't think yeah. that's We necessary. don't need to tell you why we all complained, but yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, on the flip side of it, uh, there have been a growing number of um, criticisms from agents, certainly, of, you know, guys, and it was in, uh, Zach Kiefer wrote about uh, Shea Patterson, and he mentioned some of this yeah. in there, like you go and you bench and then you stand around for a couple hours and you run the 40 mm-hmm. and then you stand around and then you warm up and then you throw. So like, yeah, it's not a surprise when a guy like Shea Patterson has like an uneven throwing day because it's yeah. just, it's such a stupid setup. Like, why would you, yeah. you're standing around for five hours waiting to throw and then you got to get loose all of a sudden. And, and so, and we keep, we see guys every year. Like, I don't know if it's avoidable to have a guy, you know, pull a hamstring or something, but we see oh, guys yeah. every year yeah. kind of come up gimpy in these things. And, um, so I think that that's that. Uh, that's what I'm interested to see moving forward. Like, are we going to stick to this four to eleven TV schedule <laughs> for these yeah. drills? Because it's it, in some ways it's really not fair to the players, and I can't imagine no, the teams no. liked it that much. No, Austin tells a great story of when he was covering Oregon and Vernon Adams. If you remember Vernon Adams, who yeah. transferred from like Eastern what, and he says that the combine, or he said after the combine that the combine like destroyed his draft situation not because he performed poorly but he said he threw his arm out at the combine because they were like we we're, we're asking you to throw more today than you ever have in one day in your entire life or ever will again <laughs> and he was like by the end of it he's like my arm was destroyed and any workouts i did from there on out were just he's like i felt like they were half of what i was wow. because everything was Jeez. just thrown through a ringer and i was like man that is really tough and that's one i could buy that i believe that for sure because especially if it's like Hey, you know, Vernon, you're not necessarily going to be a top five pick here, so we're not going to make, you know, Joe Burrow throw this extra, you know, series to these other receivers. You go out there and do it. You know, and it's just like, right. and it's like, it's not, yeah, I mean, it's sometimes you see guys wearing themselves out. Some, yeah, I mean, how many popped hamster, blown hamstrings or whatever do we see now with guys who spend a month and a half training for the 40-yard dash, you know, and that's not what, that's not what their bodies are used to and everything else. And I don't know. I hope it goes to, I hope they move it to L.A. so we don't have to maybe... <laughs> So we have to go as long or as much or whatever. Yeah, but anyway, before we get out of here, let's do some Lions um, because there are that's of general interest for uh, this audience as well. Um, so I am on all records saying that it would be I would have I'm going to have a really hard time not drafting Isaiah Simmons, but I'm also going to totally understand if they walk out of there with Jeffrey Okuda in any scenario, trade down, stay the same. Those are the two guys with that first pick that I have said to myself, it's one of those. Or I don't get it, and I, maybe I'm maybe maybe that's just underselling it a little bit, but I mean I feel like I've almost gotten to a point where I've seen all I need to see from Derek Brown and some of these other guys, and just Simmons is such an exciting prospect, and Okuda is so steady that I I, I don't know where are you landing on this. I know it's it's we've still got some time here to go, but where where's sort of your where's your head at on that after after last week? Yeah, and speaking of the testing, I mean Derek Brown's one of the cases here that you look at and say, well, he yes. didn't test very well. Like, what he does that not, mean no. for us? Like, what is this? Yeah. You know, he didn't do very well in the explosion testing. He didn't do very well in the forty. I mean, I don't know that you need him to run a forty, but right. um, you know, Agility he didn't test low, very yeah. right. Right, he didn't mm-hmm. test very well. Is this a guy that we can trust to sort of beat athletic interior linemen? Um, so I think yeah. that there there is some value to the drills. I don't want to say it's just like a, right, a complete yeah. waste of time but um I, yeah I mean I I think I'm with you and I it's tricky because I'm going through right now and putting together something that looks at sort of what's realistic if they trade down 
Mm-hmm. And it's hard to trade down past like five and five, think you're yeah. going to get Simmons or Okuda because right. <laughs> uh, Miami's. Uh, I mean, uh, you'd be trading with Miami, who's coming up. Um, if you go to five and and they'd be going for quarterback, but if you go to six and someone else comes up for that quarterback, uh, Chargers come up or the Panthers at seven come up. Mm-hmm. Miami's probably taking Isaiah Simmons because mm-hmm. you know you've got uh, oh, yeah. Brian Flores does down there as a coach and he does a lot of the same things. Uh, with his safeties that the Lions want to do. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's the tough part because you want to you want to maximize being in the top 5. You don't want to be there all the time and trading down and getting another, you know, another round 1 pick, another top 40 pick. Like there certainly is uh, an argument for that, but uh you'd also don't want to trade down to 9 and end up with oh, an God. offensive yeah. tackle and an extra day 2 right. pick and and then you're just sort of, you know, treading treading water. Right. Simmons, like, I've tried to tell myself over the last month, like, you know, like, you're looking at this, you're being too dramatic, is what I've tried to tell myself. Like, maybe he's not, you know, this, um, you know, whatever, like a guy who could, transformative type talent who could, who could change a lot of the way. But then again, I I keep, the more I keep watching, I'm like, I think he, I think he absolutely is uh, that type of guy that it's very possible, barring an injury or something unforeseen, that we're sitting here next year with the entire league saying oh, we got to draft Simmons, we got to draft a guy that can play <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. safety linebacker and rush the quarterback because like holy shit, this is great. We've never seen anything like this. I have never seen. I I'm trying to think in my mind. I don't know of anybody else. I mean, I, you could probably do some a lot of that. A lot of the stuff that uh, Jamal Adams can do, um, but he's also what's Jamal Adams like six one? I don't. He's not six four. You know, he's not two forty. Uh, so, right. and he's yeah. not, I mean, you know, and Simmons is still running a four, three something. And it's like, you, you just see this guy and part of me still wonders, you know, mentally, is he gonna be able to take on everything for, you know, if, cause I mean, I would guess he goes somewhere and that defensive coordinator or wherever is going to be like, we're throwing everything at you, man, because we need you to be, you know, we need you to, you to be as advertised and be kind of a guy who fixes or helps fix three levels of our defense, which is just insane. Like Patricia and Belichick and those guys always carry on about Lawrence Taylor, right? That's like Belichick's favorite player in the history of time. If Lawrence Taylor's there, you draft Lawrence Taylor because Lawrence Taylor can do a thousand things and can help every guy on the field. And that's that was real. I mean, that's legitimate. And I, I don't know how dramatic I want to get with it with Simmons because we haven't seen him do it yet. But it's like, man, I, I got to say, there's a there's a chance this guy could could end up being like, I mean... Wow, I mean, there's a chance it could be something that we're yeah we're we're looking every other year for here on out is like how are we gonna find a guy like that? Yeah, and I think it is. It's just it, it's such a unique situation because the the NFL has been drooling over this idea of safety linebacker hybrids for the last yeah. four or five years to try and counter what NFL offenses are doing. But yeah, they're taking guys. I mean, Jamal Adams, like you said, sort of falls in that conversation mm-hmm. Deion Buchanan was one of the big yeah. examples and he hits the same thing he's six one two fifteen, and then you got yeah, like he's not this you know yeah. there, there's been like a laundry list of like round three to round seven like Ibrahim Campbell the Northwestern mm-hmm. like people were like oh maybe he can be a safety linebacker like yeah. Miles Killebrew on the Lions uh, they yeah. tried to use yeah. him in that role a little bit and like it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense and I think some of it is because you know, you are taking these guys. A lot of the times, you're taking a safety and seeing if you could play him as a linebacker, and he's 20, 30 pounds lighter than you need him to be for that spot. And yep. like you said, you've got this guy who d- that's not the problem with Isaiah yep. Simmons. He's big enough to play there, but he also oh God. can be up yep. top and play 
as a safety. It's crazy. I mean, it it's crazy to watch him do some of the things that he does because there really aren't comparisons for it. There isn't a guy no. to be like, oh, he looks exactly like X. There, the, the guy doesn't the, exist the yet. The one guy that I think he's reminiscent of and the guy and this guy didn't play in this era but i would have been fascinated to see sean taylor is the one mm-hmm. guy um that you know sean taylor was six two six three two thirty whatever and ran a crazy 40 and was just a powerhouse of a football player obviously before he was uh you know killed there in 2007 whatever it was but i mean sean taylor was a transformative type player and i and i think that you could be looking at something like that with with Simmons, and the more I go back on it, I'm just like, how do you pass on that? You know, how and do that's you, like, I mean, Sean Taylor that? might have been, might have gone down as one of the greatest safeties in NFL history if he yeah. played oh, yeah. his entire career. I mean, he was and already he only ran a four five. He only ran, <laughs> I just looked it up. He only ran a four five. Simmons has run a four three nine. So I'm just like, it's he's faster by a wide margin. I just, I'm not sure we've seen any athletes like like this before. I mean, it's just crazy. And that's, uh, I think that's why he's extremely interesting when you, especially we compare him to Okuda and a guy like Derek mm-hmm. Brown. I mean, Derek Brown's coming in. Um, I don't know what he's going to be as a pass rusher. I mean, I think he can do it, uh, but you also have a really good, you know, you look at the free agent class at the defensive line and there's a ton of guys that you could plug in and get some production from if yeah. you make the right choices. And Okuda, I think is, yeah. I mean, Okuda's got a chance to be a all pro level cornerback yep. I think yep. um, but those guys don't come around every year but you have more of a chance no. of finding an all pro level cornerback you have a pro bowl cornerback on they your do, roster that already of, yeah, that right. you don't want anymore uh, <laughs> so you have a chance like it's not out it's not out of the question that you could get to next year or the year after and have uh, you know that level of talent yeah be available at the draft I, I don't know what you, if you don't take Simmons and you want to fill similar shoes, you really got to sort of pigeonhole someone else into that job that may or yeah. may not be able to do it. But hearkening back to something we talked about earlier, like Matt Patricia is going to need like a fainting couch when they sit down with Jeff Okuda. I mean, he's just right. going to be like, I, I can't handle this. Like this guy is, is so like in line with everything Patricia wants from a player. Not that Simmons wouldn't be, but Okuda is like, I've been studying tape since I was in the third grade and I love all this <laughs> right. stuff. And, I mean, he's like the Matt Patricia handbook for what, what a player needs to be in the NFL. I got to say, I don't think that there's anything they would be able to find after talking to him that they wouldn't be like, we have to take this guy because he's everything we want our you know program here to be uh, going forward. And if we don't do it, we're not staying true. That's what I keep wondering. If Did they tell themselves, if we don't take Jeff Okuda, we're not staying true to what we wanted to do. And it really does seem like as much as fans are going to get angry about it, they're going through this thing all the way, and they're going to do it the way they want to do it. And if it flames out, it flames out. But it's one where I look at it and say, I, I wonder if these guys could pass on Jeff Okuda because uh, he just literally checks off every box they have. I mean, it's like from a personality standpoint and a player standpoint, there's nothing that there's nothing there that that they are not going to be in love with. Yeah, and it's been one of the ways that the Bob Quinn Lions regime has sort of differed a little bit from the Bill Belichick. New England. Uh, there's a lot of ways, but one, yeah. one of the yeah. Ways, oh, yeah. there's a few. You know, one of the roster building ways is that Bill Belichick has had a lot of years where he's tried to build back to front, and he's had the McCordys yeah. at safety. He's had Patrick Chung, like he's really bulked up. Gilmore right. at corner, like he's really made sure he can lock down the back half of the field, and then you know you can play that bend but don't break, and you can take some shots. Mm-hmm. And the Lions, at least especially last year, Bob Quinn really tried to build 
front to back. He, you know, he got Dan- yeah. Mike Daniels traded for Harrison the year before. They dra- traded up to draft Deshaun Hand. They really tried to build uh, that interior, and it hasn't mm-hmm. worked at all. <laughs> so, no, no. Uh, yeah. This is the opportunity, I think, again, to go back to the Derrick Brown or Javon Kinlaw or whatever discussion mm-hmm. against these cornerbacks and, safety, and a guy like Simmons. Like maybe this is your opportunity, even if you trade Slay. I mean, you could walk out of this this uh, off season with Okuda and you know maybe Chris Harris or something in free agency, yeah. and you're still looking pretty good at yeah, the cornerback spot. So um, I think that'll be. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see if the Lions kind of pivot away from what they've tried to do at all the last two years because I yeah. mean the results haven't been there on the field. The biggest wild card to me outside of something crazy happening like. Chase Young dropping or whatever and complicating matters um, is Tristan Wirfs at Iowa. Oh, yeah. And I originally, I went into last week thinking maybe they could trade further down and still get him. And, you know, I think they're going to really like him a lot. And I, we know they value tackle pretty high. They're going to let Graham, Graham, Graham Glasgow walk away and everything else. But Wirfs had an outstanding combine. And again, I'm not sure how far down you can move and assure yourself the opportunity to draft a guy like that. But it is something I think it's he's worth probably paying attention to as they go forward here. Yeah, I mean, I think um, – and that's like I said, if you go to five, you say, all right, we could still yeah. get Simmons or Okuda maybe, um, and we can get our extra picks, and that's pretty good. I mean, that's the sweet spot really is to go to mm-hmm. five and, and take one of those two guys. If you go to six, suddenly the conversation might be Brown against Wirfs, and that's a lot yeah. less exciting, <laughs> I think, for right. Lions fans to think about. Uh, yeah. And that's, you know, Tristan Wirfs, he might be the next great right tackle in the NFL. Yeah, um, he's I, he's impressive. Like, his testing was insane. The athleticism he mm-hmm. showed in that was crazy. I think his worst game all year probably was against Michigan. Um, yep. When he was, he was coming back think, right? from injury, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and otherwise, he was pretty flawless through most of his time starting at Iowa. So, that, that's a guy I could see. They love – Love, love that Iowa program. Oh my ties God. to yeah. the Ferenc family. Um, yep. You know, it's 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 a program that guys come out of as you know physically ready as they're as a college player usually can be to go to the next level. And uh, you talk about how they've tried to build this thing. Certainly, they've tried to do it through the offensive line. That's why the Glasgow situation continues to be mm-hmm. so confounding because yeah. they have a you know a starter at guard that they're going to let go, but they've tried to build to be good in the trenches, to be able to win the time of possession battle, to run play action and sort of throw short passes and get guys out in the screens and like putting Werfs in there for the next five years, 10 years, uh, certainly falls in line with a lot of what they've done. With um, the quarterback scenario situation, you know, the, you know, are you going to draft a backup this year? Are you going to, you know, whatever, you know, where are you at on this, on, on the idea of them taking a quarterback this year? And where, where would you maybe see that happening given all the guys that are you know available or realistically on the, uh, an option as they go forward? I just don't know how it happens before like late day two. I mean, I, I cause you're talking yeah. about the top four, like Burrow's going to be gone at one, two is probably yeah. going top five. Justin Herbert's got a pretty decent shot of going top 10 top 15 and then Jordan loves the one like if he slides to the you know late 20s 30s and you're sitting there with an extra second rounder that you've picked up for trade maybe you go back up and get him like that's the one to me that makes sense from like a 
just in terms of where they'll be in the draft. But I, I, I think it's much more likely that they go after, you know, Jalen Hurts in round three or four or Anthony mm-hmm. Gordon in round five, like just someone that um, it's going to be a couple years probably before they're legitimately uh, ready to challenge Matthew Stafford. But still, yeah. you could see it happening somewhere down, you know, in the distant future. Yeah. So I, I think that that's, that's the play. Other guys that have caught your eye that are possibilities maybe uh, as they go on day two, day three? At the quarterback spot and, and there? So. Oh, any, any position. any position. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think, well, the wide receiver class is ridiculous. Yeah, um, yeah. I think they have – I really think they have to take a wide receiver at some point. Um, and that's yeah. – you know, Bob Quinn talked about finding value on uh, in those ranges. I think wide receiver, whoever it is, on day two, day three mm-hmm. uh, makes sense. Um, if they don't take – uh, you know, Simmons, I think they'll probably be going back and looking at safeties at some point, like mm-hmm. the Jeremy Chin um, from Southern uh, Illinois tested through the roof mm-hmm. too. Uh, they had Ashton Davis on their roster from Cal mm-hmm. and the senior bowl who didn't uh, play down there, but he was with them all week. So there's certainly some, some guys there. I mean, I think the one, the other one you've got to really look at in, you know, the round three, round four range is offensive guard. Like you've got to, yep. Someone's got to start yep. there. Someone's got to play there. Goes leaving. You got to yeah. find someone. Maybe that's Bredesen. I mean, I think that's yeah, a round that's four thought, option yeah. for them, something like that. But like yeah. Jonah Jackson from Ohio State, yeah, Ohio uh, State. Was a senior bowl guy. And um, so I think that's those are kind of the big positions I'm looking at as we get later into the draft. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good deal, Chris. I appreciate it. Pitching in for Brendan. Brendan's gonna would kill me if I didn't make you do the tip your bartender. If you're familiar with this, the the sign off that we do here. Or if you're, yeah, you're, you're gonna have to with... remind me of the exact wording okay. of it, though. So Brendan, Brendan's thing is, and he's made everybody from Dan Deardorff to whoever else we've had yeah, on yeah. here tell the listeners as we go out to be sure to how important it is to tip their bartenders uh, and servers as they go forward. Uh, so yeah, make sure. <laughs> please, <laughs> please be sure to tip your bartenders and your servers. Remember to do that. Very important. Always remember. Well, yeah. for Chris Burke, I am Nick. Uh, Brandon will be back next week, I assume, or wherever he is. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you guys later. I am a man and a constant